Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, Bob. Hello there. We're back. Series two. Who would have thought it, eh? Uh, to be fair, I didn't think we were going to get past episode one of series one. So being here making series two is an accomplishment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to be fair, we've only been off the air a couple of weeks. So it's not really, we haven't really given people enough time to miss us, have we? How does it work? Do you need to make people work and miss you or something? Well, I don't really believe in all that. Treat them mean, keep them keen. Okay, so not working for it. If they like it, let's give it to them. Yeah, give the people what they want. And apparently they want us. Are you sure? Well, maybe it's forced upon them. But here we are. Series two, bareback. Benha, what's it all about? Uh, I don't know. What's our ethos? What's our brand? What's our values? What's our mission? Do we have one? Well, I'm hoping you're going to tell us. Okay. I I can tell you what I know about our own podcast. I'm Benka. And I'm Ben. I'm Argentinian. And I'm British. And basically what we've been doing during this podcast is just sort of venting our private quarrels about whose culture is better. Well, it's obviously British. Argentinian. Mm, I think you'll find it's British. Mm, no. Well, we shall continue to battle that out throughout uh, these next set of episodes. Exactly. And uh, realistically, we've been off the air for a few weeks. So do we talk about being on the air? Because it's a podcast. So is it on the air? Is it on the ether? Oh, I don't know. Is there... I just press record and hope for the best, but... Is that a word for being... I don't know. It's not live. Well, it is right now. It is well, yeah, us. it is live. As like I said, I press record and then I press stop and then I chuck it online. <laughs> okay, so let's let's just take the radio approach and said and say that we haven't been on the air for a few weeks. For a few weeks, so we are on the air now. We're back and we're back with a lot more topics to prove that my culture is better than yours. Mm, again, I'm gonna sincerely disagree with that. So, since we are here, Series 2, before we get to it, because you know that I'm very, very thoughtful about your feelings and so on and so on and so on, you know, yeah, that. Uh, How are you, Bab? Well, it's a pleasure to know that you're all hearts. And I'll tell you, I'm absolutely fuming. Mm, There's nothing to be fuming about. Nothing happened. Well, before we pressed record on the podcast today, we had a knock at the door. Well, the doorbell went. Um, And I got very excited. I thought it might have been DPD bringing me something that I've ordered from an online marketplace that I forgot about. But no, it wasn't. It was a door-to-door salesperson. Okay, selling what? HelloFresh. Okay, the the food boxes. Yeah, you know, where where it's like, I don't know what I'm going to cook tonight. Oh, I'll just order this online type thing. Okay, so I, I thought they were online. Why there was like a person on the door? Did we order a box? No, apparently they're coming around door to door trying to get people to sign up for their subscription service. And I'm sorry, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think it's appropriate that people come round to your house. I mean, thankfully, we ordered those lateral flow tests the other day from the NHS. I wasn't going to use those until the weekend, but I think I'm going to use them now because she got quite close. Okay, so you are fuming and upset because there was a door-to-door sales- salesperson for HelloFresh. Yeah. 
Okay, so why weren't you these fuming and upset when it was the milkman that came and knocked on the door and offered us a milk subscription? Oh, because he was so handsome, wasn't he? I didn't see him. I oh, wasn't he here. was really handsome. And he came to the door and he says, look, do you remember the old days when you used to get milk in the bottles? And I said, oh, that was an amazing time. He offered us the milk service. So I had to say yes on that occasion. That that was different. That was totally different. So not only you've proven that it's about whether the guy who's selling you the stuff is hot, but also door to door actually worked. You bought the milk subscription. Oh no, I feel really bad. Do you think we can ring up HelloFresh and ask the lady to come back round? Mm, no, that's right. You can order online if you want to. Speaking of the milk, that was a bit of a hoo-ha in itself because we were promised the glass bottles and a four litre plastic container arrived and apparently i've ordered us two a week so we now have literally a freezer full of milk to get through yeah we don't drink that much milk and suddenly it kept arriving so if anybody needs any milk give us a call and we'll, <laughs> we'll get some sent out to you so what are we now a milk reseller now oh yeah absolutely we do a podcast and we can distribute milk at the same time and it's all in the freezer it's all frozen so by the time it arrives at wherever you live it'll be uh, room temperature so it'll be perfect i don't think we have the proper licenses for that bab okay shall we move on now as we mentioned like seven times already this is series two series two series two so before we go into the topic of the day i actually want to give a shout out and give some recognition because we've had great listeners we've had great feedback and let's talk about what they have fed back to us. Okay. Shall we? Yeah. So, first of all, we've had a first complaint. Oh, no. Do you know, I, I, I was really worried about this. About a complaint? Yeah, I, I don't like confrontation. Uh, and I, I'm still feeling really bad about the HelloFresh lady. I feel like I need to ring her up and find out where And apologise. Yeah, yeah. I feel really bad. How can I discriminate against HelloFresh and then have the milkman? Okay, so do you want to know what the complaint is about? Because uh, no. well, maybe it'll make you feel better. So the first complaint, basically we were informed that the Union flag should be described as a Union Jack only when flown in the bows of a warship. Oh, so this must have come from episode two, Life in the UK test. Indeed. However, let me tell you about that episode. In the Life in the UK test, it asks you how is it known, the flag, and it just says Union Jack. It doesn't say where it is. So maybe the person who's complained that we used Union Jack and Union flag incorrectly, maybe this person needs to... Take go... the test? <laughs> well, not take the test, but go to the people who write the test. Yeah, and, and when someone gives these type of historical, uh, historical facts, I cannot tend to accept their premise. It sounds very complicated to say that it's only Union Jack when flown in the boats of a warship to be made up. Just out of interest, who made the complaint? Oh, this person wanted to remain anonymous, and we're going to uh, and we're going to respect that. Well, we've also had some very exciting correspondence from the United States of America. We have been contacted by a Brooklyn-based DJ called Tom Tales, and he has suggested that we have a new theme tune, and we use a track that he's just released. Oh, hi, Tom. Has Tom sent us his track? He sent us his track. I mean, to be fair, I quite like our music. We basically Googled Camp Daft Punk. Whatever came out from the Google search, we liked it and we purchased it. That's what we've gone for. But I'm open to bringing in new flavours to the theme music of the podcast. Of course, it can bring a little bit more bizarre. Is that a word in English? I don't know, but if it's not, we'll put it in the dictionary now okay. for you. So Tom Tells' song 
<laughs> Wait till you hear the title. Okay. It's called Big Bears. Ooh, I like it. Open brackets. I want more. Close brackets. Who doesn't want more Big Bears? You want more? Let's have a quick listen. Let's have a quick listen. I'm in love with the Big Bear. With a meat lover. A nice hugger. I really like the beard. It's really clever, isn't it? Yeah. So it's described actually in the press release as a sexually charged club anthem, which is obviously very on brand for us. We are two sexually charged club anthems. Are we club anthems? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I like it. So it says here, set to an infectious club beat, the song sees Tom confessing his definitive love for the bears, their body and their sensuality. To be fair, that did come across uh, from the lyrics, didn't it? Yeah, it's, it is It is like he's purring into your into your ear. So it's like we're in the club and he's talking into my ear. He's like purring into my ear. Yeah, and he's saying, I love big bears. And you're like, I'll have a JD and Coke, please, love. <laughs> well, am I using, some, uh, am I using Tom for well, he loves big bears. We might as well make the most of it. Tom, thank you very much for contacting us, for sending your music. We really, really, really enjoyed it. I really look forward when the club's open again to be able to listen and basically to talk in your ear and pair in your ear love songs. Oh, you're going to do it to Tom? No, to you. Oh, you're, to me? You're my oh, boyfriend. I thought you were talking about Tom. Oh, thank you, baby. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Exactly. But Tom, if you want to pay my business class ticket to Brooklyn, then I'm down. Well, he's from Canada as well, so um, I don't know if he flits between the two or what. I've never been to Canada. He loves big bears and he cannot lie. So Shout out to Tom. Yeah, and we'll post the cover artwork on Instagram shortly because that's also sexually charged, charged as well, which we love. Ben-Hur, is there anything else in the post bag? Yes, actually. So we've been contacted by Jorge, who is originally Colombian, lives in Chile. Is that George, basically? Uh, Jorge. George. Jorge. George. Jorge. Anyway, uh, Jorge contacted us and he sent us a very lovely message where he says that he really identifies with what I was uh, saying in the first episode about sort of the pre judgments or preconcepts that people have about uh, people from different countries. And he was saying that when he introduces himself uh, as Colombian, people think that they live in bunkers, that all they do is have weapons and traffic drugs, and that they live in jungles. And actually, once he was asked if they had electric lighting in the streets. Well, it's quite similar to what people have asked you, though, isn't it? Exactly. And you know what, George? Uh, and you know what? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's George. Hey, Jorge, it's George. Come on. No, I'm going to say it right. But it's difficult to go from one language to the other. Anyway, oh, my tiny violin is bleeding from you. It does happen when you speak multiple language languages. I can't even speak one, so it doesn't work. Anyway, you are so professional today. I know, I know. Anyway, Jorge, a great shout out to you. I completely feel your pain. Just look on the bright side. It makes for funny stories to tell. So Jorge's from uh, Colombia. Yes. Now, when I think of Colombia, I don't really think about drugs and bunkers. I think of Shakira. 
to be fair, we do like Shakira, but you know that Colombia is a very rich country. There's a lot of culture there. There's a lot of pre-Columbus history as well. So it's really, really interesting. And also, I think I read somewhere about Colombia that they have like more birds there than anywhere else. Not necessarily than anywhere else in the world, but different types of birds mm -hmm. than anywhere else. But certainly for me, Shakira, I mean, one of the things that I really want to do with you one day is visit obviously visit Colombia mm -hmm. but I'd really specifically like to go to Shakira's hometown which I think is called and I'm going to pronounce this wrong Baranaquia try again Baranaquia this you're putting an a there that is not there Baranquilla Barranquilla thank you very much um every day's a school day with Benya but basically Benya. thank Benya. you oh, right. okay there's basically a 16 foot statue of her in her hometown okay what's that in real units so like five meters that's really big actually yeah but it doesn't look anything like her so what's the point there well I just find it hilarious that there's a massive statue dedicated to the town's most famous person but it doesn't look anything like it it kind of reminds me when i went to santa marta which is one of the favelas in rio mm -hmm. uh, in brazil they have a statue of michael jackson and it marks where he filmed the they don't care about us video i don't know if you remember that one yeah remember that video it was really good but i mean rest his soul it's not the most flattering depiction of him he, he looks like a bored lion <laughs> what's even worse when i visited someone had stolen his sunglasses as well so he wasn't even protected from the elements protected from the sun the statue yeah oh yeah. god um but the best example of bad kind of statues was um louis two swords Who's so, that? You, so you've heard of madame two swords yeah well louis two swords was madame's cousin once removed <laughs> okay. and he basically had um his own waxwork museum in blackpool but I went there probably about five years ago, and the most up-to-date person they had in there was Samantha Mumba. I have no idea who that you is. You don't need to. The fact that you don't know who she is proves my point. But for me, I got really confused when we went into the James Bond section in the film area because there was a waxwork of Sigourney Weaver. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember Sigourney Weaver being in any Bond film. Maybe it's a crossover. It's like Alien versus Bond. No. Turns out it was Tina Turner performing Goldeneye. Okay, there's a distinct difference between Sigourney Weaver and Tina Turner. Yeah, so needless to say, I think they've all been melted <laughs> into oblivion. Aww. But yeah, shout out to our international listeners. I know we've had people tuning in from Russia, Philippines and the Cayman Islands. From the Cayman Islands. Mm, I smell tax haven. Okay, well, tax haven or not, if you do want to get in touch with us, uh, we're on Twitter at Bareback Pod. You can find us on Facebook, just searching Bareback. Instagram, we are at Bareback Podcast. And you can also email us, which nowadays is old school, at barebackpodcast at gmail.com. Right, Benha, are you ready for today's episode? I am ready. What was that? That was Marc Antoine Charpentier's Prelude to Te Dium. Okay, again, that kind of didn't make any sense. Is that even English words, Bob? I think it's Latin. But basically, 
all the gays in Europe who are listening to this podcast will have squealed at that sound because they know that one thing is arriving very, very soon. Is it like a whistle that only gays can hear and makes them squeal? No, everyone can hear it, but it does mark the start of gay Christmas. Okay. I think I see where this is going. Are we going to talk Eurovision? Yep. Eurovision Song Contest. That is what we're going to discuss this week. Now, before I go any further, because I know this is something perhaps more aligned to my culture than yours, what do you know about Eurovision? So I've never properly seen one. I know that it's like a music competition. And I know that it's weird because it's Eurovision, but it has countries that are not European. I know that it's really, really camp. From what I understand, it's not like a talent competition. So you already know that everyone's talented. So they just compete to see who can do the campest act. I suppose there's an argument for that. It's good to know that we're starting from a very low baseline. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for that. Um, because I really want you to get up to speed. I really want us to get into the Eurovision mood this year. Um, for me, Eurovision was integral to me growing up. We would have parties at school, parties at university, even as adults as well. Dressing up is a huge part of it in this country. I'll, I'll share it on Instagram, but there's pictures of me wearing Bonnie Tyler masks. And just before we met, actually, I went dressed as Verka Suducha. She's a Ukrainian drag queen. You may remember the song, The Dancing Lasher Tumbai in 2007. You know that. Zeben, 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 Eins, Vibe, that one. I made her metallic star, actually. I was really proud of this. Her metallic star headpiece from some old Christmas decorations. The heels were painful. But Eurovision is like, it's it's huge. It's huge. We, okay, so are there really parties? People hold parties for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And drinking games as well. So we'd all, you know, take a shot when the, there was a key change or a national stereotype featured in the halftime act or something like that. And it's really interesting how you talk about it being camp and stuff, because Eurovision is definitely something that has been embraced by the LGBTQ community. The thing is, is that it all sounds really, really camp. It is, it is. All um, these parties, dressing up, drinking games, it, it, it all sounds, it, it doesn't sound like a lads, lads, lads. No, 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 no. Thing. And people have written academic books on why the gay community loves Eurovision so much. I once went on a date with someone who had a Eurovision cabinet. A Eurovision cabinet? Like uh, some, in the house, a cabinet dedicated to Eurovision. So it was kind of like, it looked like a drinks cabinet, but there was no kind of windows in it. And he just opened it and there was like LPs, there were sashes. There was letters, magazine articles. I mean, it was full. It was bulging. It was bulging. Um, and I swiftly left. Yeah. Um, I can imagine why. Needless to say, yeah, it didn't go very far. I mean, that took it a little bit too much for my, for my love. But, but there is an expression of love and individuality at Eurovision that really kind of taps into what, you know, what the LGBT community is all about. So, as you know, I've lived in this country for a few years now. So, obviously, I've heard of Eurovision and I have that knowledge uh, about it, but I haven't really got uh, delved into it, if you like. So, how does it work? So, what's Eurovision about? Well, you might want to ring the school bell because I think we need a bit of a history lesson here. Okay. <laughs> Ding dong. I hope you're taking notes because there's a quiz at the end. Mm. Ding dong. No, there isn't really. Is that, was that your school bell? No, that's the school bell that sounds when you talk about history. Oh, because our school bell was more like... Yeah, I suppose that ours was kind of like that as well. But 
No, I'm just giving you a ding dong. And I found out, because obviously we went to school not very recently, that they kind of had this like old school machine that did the school bell. You know, like pianos that play themselves and they have that paper that go around. Did you go to school in the 17th century? Well, I I don't know if it was true because I never saw it, but somebody told me and I kind of believed it. I mean, I know the UK is a historic country, but I never would have thought that you would still be living in histories from the 17th century. Okay, well, I'm the teacher here, so just button up now and listen to your history lesson. Yes, mister. (laughs) No, we are definitely not going there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Eurovision. It's the most watched non-sporting event in the world. It's the longest running annual international televised music competition. Um, It's held annually and it's Mm -hmm. organised by the European Broadcasting Union. And the European Broadcasting Union, does it do anything other than organising Eurovision? It does a few other bits and bobs. I think they do like a concert in Austria and stuff like that. But it's interesting to say that it's nothing to do with the European Union. They are separate. Because I think a lot of people, when the UK left the European Union, were like, can we still be in... in, um, Oh, that's uh, so cute. Can we still be in Eurovision? And, And I think the whole LGBTQ community was held their breath for a second until somebody was like, no, it's got nothing to do with it. But there we are. So it's actually based on the San Remo Music Festival, which is essentially a Eurovision competition that's held in all the regions of Italy. And then they vote on a winner, which started in the 1950s. And then the Eurovision came along in 1956. It was called the European Grand Prix then. The European Grand Prix. So yeah. they tried it to make it sound like a sporting event. <laughs> yeah. Trying um, to get those trade listeners. Yeah. <laughs> but it was essentially a way to promote cooperation between countries in Europe after, you know, the Second World War. Oh, it sounds really nice. So, shall I tell you a little bit about the rules? Because I think that's important when we watch it on the night. First of all, are we establishing that we're going to watch Eurovision? Well, it's not really an either-or option. It's a we're watching it. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so um, I don't know about the rules. So I know that all of the countries sing. Yeah, they have to sing. So there's no instrumentals. So you will always get a, a vocalist. They can have up to six people on stage. So you can have up to six people in, in your group okay. that, that performs. Does that include like backup dancers, like yeah. everything? Six people on stage. Um, each country's song has to be three minutes or less. How many countries participate in it? Um, they've changed the rules recently. And I think that's the thing about Eurovision. The rules are constantly changing. It constantly evolves to keep up with the times. But essentially, at the minute, there's around, I think, 40 countries that take part. Okay, so then it makes sense that it's less than three minutes. Otherwise, you're going to be there like until six in the morning. But those 40 countries will be whittled down. So it, what used to be just the Eurovision Grand Final, mm-hmm. they now have a sort of Eurovision week. So they have semifinals during the week. Okay. And then the best of the best go through to the grand final on the Saturday evening. So only the best of the best go through? Well, it's not quite as simple as that. So we have what's called the Big Five. The Big Five? Yeah, which sounds quite political, you know, like... Yes, like the G5, isn't it? The G5 or the G8 or the G20 or the GGs. That's a horse. The Big Five is France, Germany, Spain, UK and Italy. Now, essentially, these are the highest paying... European Broadcast Union members, and they go straight to the final. Oh, so it's pay to qualify? Well, I think I think it's, it wouldn't happen if they weren't involved. I mean, if you're trying to heighten your country's culture, paying to qualify is not the best way, but... There's some things you just have to accept with Eurovision, and 
for us Brits, it's great to know that we're going to be in the final every year. We're never going to win, but we're going to be in the final. So we don't have to bother with the semi-finals. We just turn on the telly on a Saturday night. The other thing to notice is to perform, you have to be over 16 and you cannot have any live animals on stage. Okay, so if I wanted to use a lion, then I couldn't. No, but you could have a lion puppet. There's been lots of puppets over the years. A little, say we're puppets. Yeah, we've had um we've had a turkey recently. Ireland did a turkey. A turkey puppet. A turkey puppet, yeah. And um I think the the UK entry back in the fifties or sixties, they had a little little bird. Oh god, people need a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> and and the selection process for the songs that are put forward to Eurovision is a very that I mean that's a whole different podcast. Every country does it differently. There's lots of X Factor style shows, and some of the ardent fans of Eurovision will follow these competitions, like literally visiting the countries to see the selection process. Like groupies of Eurovision. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, which is probably what we're going to be when we retire. You don't know it yet, but we'll. Okay. we'll, we'll <laughs> I mean, it's good to have a heads up, isn't it? And, and the voting on the night as well is. Again, it's changed a lot recently, but essentially there's two votes from each country. There's a jury vote and a public vote. Uh, the scores randomly are between one and eight, then 10, and then there's the magical 12. That's the top mark that you can get. Um, the jury votes come first, and then the public votes all come at the end. Now, that's again, that's a new thing, but it basically can, can flip the whole game. It just gives that drama and tension that we love okay. at, the end, at the end of the night. Making it gayer. Yeah, exactly. So I can understand because I do know that there's certain countries that participate of Eurovision that are not in Europe. I knew you were going to ask this. So I was thinking, how can I explain it well, in a simple way? If you can imagine, it's called Eurovision and you have Australia. And, uh, and don't get me wrong, uh, all to Australia, but not re even remotely close to Europe. So you've got something called the European Broadcasting Area. And this is defined by the United Nations, so we can't mess around here. And basically, any country that's in International Telecommunications Union 1 can participate in Eurovision because they are defined as being in the European Broadcasting Area. So that's how you've got the likes of Jordan can be in it if they want to, okay. Armenia, all that kind of stuff that we wouldn't necessarily associate Israel is another good one that we wouldn't necessarily associate with being in Europe. Now, Australia is a very different case. They were invited to participate in 2015. It was a bit of a suck it and see, see how it goes. But Eurovision is massive in Australia. In fact, the audience figures of people who watch Eurovision in Australia are higher than some of the countries in Europe. So I think it was a kind of tactical move to bring Australia into the Eurovision family officially. Again, very controversial. Like you say, Australia is clearly not Europe. And there's kind of a lot of hoo-ha. Well, what if Australia win? They always, you know, since they've been participating, they've always put really, really good songs into the competition They with great production. So there is that kind of concern. Well, what if they win? Where it will be? But the likelihood is that it will. they will choose the country in Europe where they want to host it. It just sounds for the organising committee, like hashtag rebrand. Yeah, I mean, and I think they have tried to do them. Do, I mean, do you have something like this in Argentina? Mm, no, not really. Not that I can think of. Like an international singing competition. I don't know, but what it sounds is like that we could participate in Eurovision. Well, you could do, yeah, if you were a, a, an active member or whatever you have to be. Or whether we're invited. 
I mean, do you, do you even have like Pop Idol in them? In... Oh, we did have uh, Pop Idol a couple of seasons, and they did like a, um, uh, a a girl band was the first one, and they were really really popular. Are you talking about Bandana? Yeah, of course. I didn't know they were from a reality show. Yeah, they were like the first, like the pop stars. Oh, I love Bandana. They are like Girls Aloud, but like Girls Aloud who have been sort of dragged through the mud a little bit. I think that's a little bit unfair. I think that the song that you like, which is called, what, what is it called? In Sunset, Llega la noche. Exactly. If that song would be sung today by Little Mix, it would be on the top of all of the charts. It would be a, it would be a hit. Okay, maybe I've done them a little bit disservice. I think probably because, were they before Girls Aloud? Uh, I don't know, to be fair. I don't I can't remember exactly what year uh, it was because I wasn't that, that interested, to be fair. But there is something quite raw about them, isn't there? I think that the first song, the first single that they had was quite... Well, it, it was kind of they recorded it during the final, something like that. So it is quite rough. But then uh, with the years, they sort of polished a lot. And are they, with you know, with any girl band, and whether this is a right or wrong way to do it, you always kind of have the good singer the bad girl done good kind of girl did you know i mean with the spice girls you obviously had posh baby ginger yeah. that kind of thing did they have those kind of personalities that were kind of exaggerated it, it wasn't just the voices of the girl that made them gas it, it, they just fit a certain sort of characteristic if you like and you had like the really really uh sort of you had like the really loud one and the one that had the very sort of distinct voice so it's like the Beyonce, you know, it's, it's kind of like the one that has a voice that you can recognize immediately. Then they had the really good vocalist. And then they had the one that was like the really like pretty uh, slim blonde one that was really pretty and had a, a really nice voice. So they did fit these uh, kind of different personalities, if you like, but it wasn't, they weren't as obvious as saying, oh, you're going to be baby spies. I've never actually thought of this. they call called Bandana. Is that basically the thing that goes around your head? Yeah. I mean, it's not a great name for a band, is it? Well, but then again, they did a series where they did the boy band. And what was afterwards. the boy band called? The boy band was called Mambru. What does that translate as? I have no clue what that translates It as. sounds like a milky drink that you'd have before bed. So from Argentinian... Iconic acts. Let's go back to Eurovision. I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. Okay. Let's talk about some of the iconic acts mm -hmm. that we've had at Eurovision. I mean, surely you of all people have heard of ABBA. Yes, I love ABBA. 1974, they were thrust upon the international stage after winning Eurovision. Oh, so they participated in Eurovision. Yeah, they won. With Waterloo, the famous song about comparing a sexual conquest to... Uh... Napoleon's defeat. <laughs> yeah, eventually, which always makes me giggle. Okay, I didn't know that was like a, a Eurovision song. Which country do you think they won it in? Well, aren't they Swedish? They're Swedish, but where were they performing? I have no idea. Well, that year, we were hosting it in the UK. Okay. They performed in Brighton. Okay. But the interesting thing, and I don't know if many people know this, is the UK gave ABBA zero points. Really? We gave them nul point. You bitch. Yeah, but they obviously won it and went on to be the absolute massive stars that they are. Another one that you'll probably have heard of was Lorene. Uh, think again. She sang Euphoria. Think again. Literally every time we go out, they play it. Euphoria. 
Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know that song. She won for Sweden in 2012. Oh, so Sweden again. So they, Sweden, that's really good. Oh, Sweden are the golden boys and girls of Eurovision. Um, they've won it six times. And the only country to have beat them to that is Ireland. They've won it seven times. Seven times, Ireland. Yeah. The rumour with Ireland is that they won it so many times that they then started putting in terrible acts because they were worried that it was going to bankrupt the economy because obviously they have to pay to host the... So that's how you decide who hosted, is the one that wins. Oh yeah, I should have probably told you that in the history section. But yeah, essentially, if you win it, you host it. Okay, and why would they think that that would bankrupt Ireland? Well, I don't know. I'm I'm exaggerating here, but I think it was costing them. I mean, it must cost hundreds and hundreds of million pounds to host this. You know, it's a whole week of activities you know, one of the biggest television programmes on the planet. It's not going to come cheap, is it? Yeah, but surely gives a lot of revenue as well. Tourism and so on. Well, it puts it puts people on the map and it certainly puts a lot of countries on the map. Before the acts perform, you usually have a little bit of a sort of a kind of wishy-washy tourist information film that's really, really cheesy where the acts go and visit like a weird castle in like Lithuania or something like that. But yeah, Sweden are, are incredible. And if you think about it, Sweden's pop music output is incredible. For a country with such a relatively small population, they really punch above their weight. So it's no surprise really why Sweden does really well in the competition. Uh, another one, and I this is probably one of my favorite winners, Conchita in 2014, with okay. Rise Like a Phoenix. Confession there, I've heard about Conchita. I've never heard that song. Oh, it's an amazing song. It's like the best James Bond theme you've ever heard. Okay, I know that I'm kind of committing myself to um, hearing that song now, but Unlikely. <laughs> no, it's a brilliant song. You must listen to it. And and, and and Conchita is one of several queer artists that have really been showcased at Eurovision. I mean, if you look at Dana International, who won for Israel, Sara Alto represented Finland. And for me, you know, particularly growing up as well, there's very few major global events where queer people are celebrated as much as they are at Eurovision. I mean, you don't see, you know, many trans people at the World Cup, for example. Yeah, I mean, representation is important, isn't it? Plus the costumes, the dancing, the pageantry and the drama Oh yeah, as well. You know, you can see why. We love it. <laughs> come, come, come. Other iconic acts we've had are Lordy. I think you would like Lordy. They Lord. basically brought heavy metal to okay. your vision. And that's different from Lord, the singer Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Lord is okay. in New Zealand, I think. But I mean, they were wearing masks before they were, you know... Before they were fashionable. <laughs> Before they were um, required. They um, they look like a bunch of extras from Game of Thrones. But also the other one as well, which is really iconic, and you you must have seen this on some of the ridiculous clip shows that I make you watch, Books Fizz, 1981. I couldn't place a song, but I know that we've... Uh, I know that you've talked about the band. I know that in some of those weird shows that you made me watch, those countdown from the 80, uh, 80s shows, they, um, they've come up there, but I... Don't know what they sing. Making Your Mind Up was the song that they performed in 1981. But all you do need to know is that they had some skirts on, they were attached by Velcro, and they get ripped off halfway through the performance. Okay. And they've got shorter skirts underneath. Ah, so basically they change from short skirts to shorter skirts. But it is an iconic moment in Eurovision history. And the rumour is that, you know, they were neck and neck among the judges with other performers at the competition that the skirts being ripped off really tips the balance in their favour. Oh, in the favour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Eurovision is not just about 
the songs themselves. It's about the performance. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's my, it's my understanding from what I said earlier. It's kind of about how come can you get it? Because everyone can sing. As well as iconic acts, we've also had acts that have gone on to become iconic. So people's whose career started on Eurovision. Okay. We've already mentioned ABBA. That's an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Celine Dion started on Eurovision? Celine Dion? Yeah. Was Canada in Eurovision? No. So how can Celine Dion be in Eurovision? Because... She's Canadian. Yes, I know she's Canadian. You don't have to be from the country that you're representing. I'm missing something there. Go back. You don't have to be from the country that you represent, but if you win, you win for the country. Yeah. So why do you represent the country that is not the country that you're from? Because the country will want to put the best song forward. It has nothing to do with you then, as a country. No, it's about the song. Yeah, but if you're putting Celine Dion, don't get me wrong, she's a magnificent singer. Who did she represent? She did uh, Ne Parte Pas Samoa for Switzerland. Okay, so she... she won. So she sang in French from Switzerland. uh, Is it French one of the languages they speak in Switzerland? Because they have four, isn't it? Yeah. It's Italian, uh, French, German, and what's the other one? I don't know. Okay. Mm, doesn't matter. Um, this is not life in Switzerland. Best. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she represented Switzerland. No connection whatsoever for uh, with Switzerland. The song probably I don't know. Did it have a, the song any connection with Switzerland? Well, it's in French. It's yeah. one of the official languages I mean, of Switzerland. I don't know. I just I don't get it. Well, them's the rules, Bab. If you have money, you can pay for the best artists in the world to represent your country. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily work. I mean, we had Bonnie Tyler in um, 2013, and she didn't win it for us. Okay, but isn't Bonnie Tyler British? Yeah, but yeah. you're saying you can pay whoever you want. Well, yeah, but the point is is that if if my country is being represented in Eurovision, I would like a, a, a an artist from my country to represent me in Eurovision. And genuinely, that is normally the case. It's just not stipulated by the rules of Eurovision. I mean, it sounds like the rules of Eurovision are filled with loopholes. So other famous people, we've got Olivia Newton-John. Okay, again, I'm not going to have the same uh, conversation about Olivia Newton-John. So who did she represent? She represented the UK in 1974. But she's not British. Correct. Isn't she Australian? Correct. Okay, so again, I'm not going to have the whole Celine Dion conversation again. So let's move forward. Julio Iglesias? Yeah, Julio Iglesias, Spanish, famously for being the father of Enrique Iglesias, not for his, like, 40 years of career. Yeah, so he represented Spain in 1970. I'll tell you who else was in it. The Portuguese lady from Love Actually. Oh, I've never watched Love Actually. Well, it's who Colin Firth's character ends up with at the end of the film. Spoiler alert. Um, She represented... I mean, um, you normally say spoiler alert before you say the spoiler, not after that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not somebody who represented Ireland, but Riverdance. Have you heard of Riverdance? But isn't that just the dance? Yeah, well, that premiered at Eurovision in 1994. So Irish people didn't Riverdance before Eurovision? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's traditional Irish music and dance, but it was elevated onto this global stage at Eurovision. And then it became a thing and it went around the world. Michael Flatley was an you know international star off the back of that. Um, and I think as well, the other thing to um, point out was that most people who've been in the lineup of Sugar Babes at some point have represented the UK at Eurovision. 
So he said how they formed the Sugar Babes. He's like, requisite one. Have you represented the UK in Eurovision? Tick. Here you go. You're in. No, I think they do it afterwards. I think it's when they're out the door. So after Sugar Babes. It's like post Sugar Babes. Well, maybe it's a bit of post and pre. I think it's just Sugar Babes and Eurovision are symbiotically linked. Okay. So maybe they can represent it again. Just call themselves Sweetener Babes. Sweetener Babes. <laughs> Candarel Kids or something like that. Yeah. Um, Katie Price. Glamour model Katie Price tried to represent the UK in 2005. Tried? Well, yeah. I mean, if you've heard any of the outputs of her singing career, you'll know why she didn't make the final selection to be our entry. Okay. Um, But um, do Google, not just anybody, if you uh, Mm. fancy listening to that. And also Enya was rejected to be the official entry for Ireland. Enya, the sellotape lady. The sellotape lady? Yeah. Sellotape, sellotape, sellotape. (laughs) Isn't that Enya? It's not Salatay. Well, I don't know what she says, so I just make up what I think she says. <laughs> Maybe get on to uh, everyone's favourite sticky back <laughs> brand. Look, don't judge me. Does it work? It works. I remembered. It kind of works. I'll give you that. But we've had lots of people who have kind of gone to Eurovision in the latter stages of their career. We've mentioned Bonnie Tyler. Katrina and the Waves, they won it for us the last time we won it in 1997. Didn't they, they did... do Walking on Sunshine? Walking on Sunshine, exactly. Engelbert Humpeldink uh, represented us. Ireland had Jedward in 2011. They started off on X Factor. And also Blue in the same year, the boy band Blue. Blue, like... No, no. The boy band Blue. Okay. Do people get weird? Eurovision. Oh, Eurovision gets weirder and weirder. I mean, I've heard the turkey puppet now, so I've I've sort of know the answer to my own question. But how? Why? Um, we had pirates. Okay. Why? Just cause that was Latvia in two thousand and eight. We've had fictional comedy characters. We had Mister Cheeky Cheeky from, from Spain. the Cheeky Girls. <laughs> no, this was one cheeky man. Oh. The Russian grannies in 2013. Iconic. Russian grannies? Is, is that like a matryoshka? Did they come out one of each other? No, no, no. I think they literally just went to some random care home, shipped them out and plopped them in the middle of the Eurovision stage. They actually baked bread during their performance. What do you mean? They, it's three minutes. How can you bake bread in three minutes? Well, I think it was like par-baked and they just kind of <laughs> heated it up at the end. And three minutes, still. It's great. You're watching a, a performance and you get free food at the end of it. We've also had Romanian vampires, stereotype plaques in there. Yeah. Swiss vampires. Oh, that's a little bit different. It's like a, a chocolate vampire. <laughs> yeah. Cyborgs one year. Um, we had ponytails uh, that were the length of a ship rope. That was Montenegro. We've had Roman soldiers and riot police as well. So a whole kitsch spectrum. Oh, I kind of want to see their Roman soldiers. They sound sexy. I think they were with Ukraine. I can't remember when. Did they wear like the Roman skirts? You know, that one that I wear allowed you to see their legs. They were very manly, hairy, nice legs. Maybe. Okay. We might want to buy some, maybe. <laughs> no. Ah. Because this is a very sort of LGBTQ band. Does it have the drama that normally uh, goes associated with the LGBTQ scene? Eurovision lives for drama. Like, Eurovision invented drama. The first scandal occurred in 1957. Scandal, scandal. So, literally the second year, 
two Danish singers, Bertha Wilker and Gustav Winkler, they kissed for 11 seconds at the end of their song. Furious reaction. I mean, we're talking 1957. Regardless of the year, 11 seconds, that's a long time to be kissing on stage. It's like awkwardly long. You know when you get these people that kind of give you a hug and it always goes on a little bit longer than what it should? Mm. what it feels natural. And then they give you that really intense eye contact afterwards as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So 11 seconds for a kiss on stage as part of an act. I mean, was their song too short and they were trying to fill time? Probably. <laughs> I mean, maybe just, what can we do to fill time? Oh, let's kiss. I think the shortest song was about a minute and a half. Um, yeah. But, um, I mean, <laughs> they could have kissed for a minute and a half. I mean, probably. Interestingly, Tattoo, as in the Russian singers... Or... Were they from Eurovision? Well, I think they entered Eurovision after they were famous, if you know what okay. I mean, or during the kind of brief zenith of their powers. The two songs that I know from Tattoo. Yeah, but they had a, a, a snog midway through their song. Yeah, but they always did that anyway, didn't they? But not representing Russia. Okay. Um, so obviously they weren't popular back home. And then in 2018, we had a stage invader. A stage invader? Yeah, like somebody came on the stage during the UK act, Surrey. She was singing a song and some guy just ran backstage and got on the stage and and stopped her from singing. Luckily, only for a few seconds. And she incredibly, you know, took back the microphone and carried on singing. It was incredible. I I thought she was going to win from that moment. It must be really, really off-putting when you get, like, interrupted like that and you don't expect it. Uh, To be fair, kudos to her for just carrying on. But again, it's that spirit of Eurovision, isn't it? That kind of... Bring countries together. Yeah, and march on in the face of adversity. I mean, that is an adversity. One of the things that I do know about Eurovision, that really, really I need to know more about, because it really grinds my gears, is that most people sing in English. Why? Well, it used to be that countries had to sing in their official language. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was abolished completely in the 1990s. Um, I think before that, they had to have at least one word um, in the song that was from their official language, but now they can sing in whatever language they want. Why would you want to sing in a language that is not your own? I don't know, really. I guess it makes the songs more marketable. A lot of these artists will kind of tour the songs around Europe for months before the contest, and if it's in a language that more people understand, and whether you like it or not, English is kind of the lingua franca of... Oh, yeah, I understand that. But you know what? If if someone represented my my country in a foreign language, I would be mortified. That, for me, is classes treason. It's something that I would never, ever, ever deem even remotely acceptable. To be represented, the country to be officially represented in a foreign language, it's just a contradiction in terms to me. I, I'm not cool with that rule, Eurovision. Change it back. Everyone in their own language. Well, I suppose it gives people the choice. If the songs are going to be marketed and they're going to be successful elsewhere, people realise that you can't do everything in a, in a language that not everybody's going to understand. Put it this way. How many uh, songs have been not in English and have won Eurovision? It's about 50-50. It's about 50-50. Okay, so it can be done. Are there countries that always will sing in their own language? And let's pause for a second while Ben Googles a question that he wasn't prepared for. (laughs) So, I believe that there are only 10 countries whose representatives have performed all their songs at least 
partly in an official regional or national language. You can probably imagine that France is on that list. It is. Yeah. Uh, Andorra, Italy, Luxembourg, Monaco and Morocco. Okay. That's my preference. I would vote for those countries. So some songs have actually used fictional and non-existent languages. Um, I know Belgium did it and the Dutch entry in 2006. So like made up words. So yeah. I, it's someone going into the microphone and saying... And if you listen to the podcast backwards, you'll get a little sneaky message from Benia. <laughs> uh, I, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know enough about that. But um, certainly a lot of the big Eurovision songs, they're all la la la's anyway. So it doesn't... And I think that's the thing about Eurovision. It doesn't matter whether it's... To me anyway, it doesn't matter whether it's sung in English or Spanish or gibberish. If it's a good song, it's a good song. Indeed. We can agree on that. Okay. I am... Um... Assuming that we are going to be watching Eurovision this year because we're making a podcast about it, so I can't really just go on and reach the end of Series 2 without having watched it. So what can I expect? Well, I think the main thing to say is this year it certainly won't be the same. Obviously, it was cancelled last year because of coronavirus. This year, they're doing very much a slimmed-down version. I believe all of the acts are heading to the venue, which is going to be held in Rotterdam, because they okay. were going to have it last year. And obviously the Netherlands won it the year before that. Fun fact, the Netherlands queen is Argentinian. You always get that. Every time I mention the Netherlands, you always get that into the conversation. Jeez. Are you a gambling man, ben Yeah, I can gamble, yeah. Based on what I did at the Grand National recently, yeah, I let's wouldn't not go with you. Um, however, I really think that Iceland might do well this year. Obviously they had what people thought was going to win it last year. It was by a guy called, now I can't pronounce his name because it's got one of those D, it looks like a D with like a little cross in it. It's an Icelandic okay. letter. I think it's Daffy. Okay. I've probably offended an entire country with that pronunciation. He did think about things last year. You remember the video and the hype around that song? Even oh yeah, that was that. yeah, that was a really good song. Very like 80s, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah making a electro song in my bedroom kind of vibe. Well, they've invited him back. He's got a song called 10 Years. It's all right. Okay. I think that might do quite well. Um, Malta have got Destiny. Now, she is a former junior Eurovision winner because there's a junior version. Oh, there's a junior Eurovision. Yeah, it's like Eurovision Kids. Um, she was also Britain's Got Talent semi-finalist. And she's basically vying to be the Maltese Lizzo. Um, she's got that vibe about okay. her. Um, there's a bit of sort of swing music in there as well. Absolutely huge voice, huge talent. But my absolute favourite is the song from, I think it's from Lithuania. It's called The Loop, uh, the band, and the song's called Discotech. Massive electro beats, makes me want to dance. Um, but the best thing is that they wear bright yellow jackets in the video. There's a great dance routine. Everyone loves a great dance routine. So I really hope they bring that to the stage in Rotterdam. There's, uh, and as well, throughout the acts this year, there's a lot of Chalga music which is kind of bulgarian folk pop it's got a lot of greek turkish and arabian influences it spread like absolute wildfire across eastern europe do you remember when we went to that nightclub in moscow yes basically that was all chalga music okay is that the one where the security guard hit on, him, uh, on us picture this obviously moscow russia we were there on holiday not the most famous lgbtq destination in the land yeah but it has very famous uh, gay clubs yeah, and we went to this gay club that was called... Secret. <laughs> well, it wasn't a secret, was it? Wasn't it wasn't a secret. 
And we turned up and we had to go down this kind of alley. It was kind of in the middle of nowhere, around the back of an old factory, I think it was, wasn't it? We walked in and the guy, the bouncer, mm-hmm. spoke to us in Russian and was like, duh, 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 duh. and we just kind of looked at him and was like, yeah, so I used my Russian to explain that I didn't speak Russian. Yeah. Which, okay, it sounds like a contradiction in terms, but it worked. And basically the guy just looked at us and kind of in very, very sort of Russian accent said, I like this gay. And we were like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and basically he smiled and then he kind of got a little bit touchy. Well, I was skipping off inside. Oh, and then we were told before we went to the club that, they charged you on how attractive you are to get yeah. into the club. So that that is worth saying. That's apparently something very common in Russia, not just in sort of gay clubs in Russia, in every in every club in Russia, where basically it's called a face charge. So basically you're charged depending on how attractive uh, you are. So of course I said to Benya, we're going to have to pay like 25 billion rubles to get into this nightclub. How much did we pay? Nothing. We got in for free. So I was literally skipping all my way onto the dance floor to dance to those thumping yeah. chalga beats. Disclaimer, we were early and there was like five people inside. So maybe we got in for free because of that, not because of our faces. Oh, don't spoil the story. I, I think we got in because they saw us and they thought we were... You are beautiful, Bab. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway... Look out for Chalga music in uh, Eurovision this year. So what about the UK then? What are we putting forward for Eurovision? Well, we've got the same act representing us as last year, a guy called James Newman. His track is a bit of a bop. Who? James Newman. He, uh, uh, have we, uh, are we supposed to have heard of him? He's the younger brother of John Newman. Okay, that really didn't clarify anything to me, but okay. Is it common that we put acts that are people who nobody knows or that not very well known? Well, I guess, you know, you talked about the language beef that you have with Eurovision. For me, it does kind of bug me that we have some of the biggest musical acts in the world, some of the best producers in the business, the best writers, but we don't send them to Eurovision. I mean, get Dua Lipa on the stage for 2022. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so is that why we don't normally win Eurovision? I think partly. When was the last time the UK won Eurovision? Katrina and the Waves, 1997. 1997. So that's a long time ago. Yeah. It feels like only yesterday, but then I realised we're in 2021 now. So yeah, it's clearly a long time ago. I think there's lots of reasons why. The voting is political. And again, we could do a whole podcast on who votes for who and why and all that kind of malarkey. What, like an like Brexit thing? Everyone... Well, no, people vote for their neighbours. Okay. Um, we're an island, you know, and probably not the most liked country on the continent by our friends. We go straight through to the final. We've already talked about the big five. I think that might annoy some people. People don't like nepotism. And obviously, you kind of alluded to it there, but now we've got Brexit. So there's another reason for us not to be liked on the European stage. So we're not going to win it this year. No. Are we going to get points? I hope we get a few. I mean, I I genuinely think the song's quite good. Okay, so do we normally get at least a good amount of points? The scoreboard is divided into two on the screen, and we're usually on the right-hand side. Which means? We're in the lower percentile. Okay. But the thing is, it doesn't matter when you can dress up, camp out, and just enjoy a night of great entertainment and great acts. Can I be drunk? Always. I'm in. (laughs) 
apparently we're not going to win Eurovision. I'm going to be too drunk to tell. So what we can do is we can ask our listeners, what do you think, Ben, to see what their opinion is of who's going to win. We can have like a poll or something. Lots of workplaces, you know, you'll do a sweepstake for the World Cup, for the Grand National. A lot of places do sweepstakes for the Eurovision Song Contest. Ooh, let's do a bareback podcast sweepstake then. It's just you and me because we're <laughs> the only people in the way. So well, the... I, I'm putting my money on Malta. I think Malta will win okay so i haven't heard any of the songs but from last year the cancelled one i did listen to the iceland song and i liked it so i'm gonna say iceland okay so that's who we're backing who are you backing let us know and we'll all find out in just over a week's time yeah so thanks for listening and we'll see you same time same place next week next week ta-ra bye